think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 287 of Low Limit Football on this 22nd of June, 2020. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, La Liga's title race tightens up as Barca drops points, opening the way for Real Madrid to take first place in the league. The MLS tournament scheduled in Orlando in July is it in jeopardy? We're going to discuss that later on tonight. Germany has one week left, and there are still spots to be determined in the league. The Premier League turn, returned this weekend, and Liverpool immediately dropped points, still leaving the title unofficially claimed at the moment. And the Serie A also returned this week after giving us the great Copa, Copa Italia finish. We're going to talk about that and much, much more with our special guest, Mr. Alex Dono from the Cultural Connection podcast, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm very well, Joe, but let me ask you a more important question. I like to always ask important questions every yes, week to absolutely. start the show, you know. So I'm going to ask you this. Have you ever gotten a million requests, a million ticket requests to only not to, um, shit, now I, now I messed up. Have you ever gotten a million ticket requests only to see your arena not filled up? I have not. I have not. And I would hope. <laughs> but you know who, you know who has? I, I do. Pink, I, Pink, Taylor Swift, um, and, but unfortunately not the president. No. No, unbelievable. That was that was something else. And and not to go off the political rails here for a moment, but um, um, you're seeing, you know, something that was executed by teenagers, right? I mean, for yeah. lack of a better term, uh, K-pop fans K and TikTokers. Exactly. Uh, but the key part there is the TikTokers, because the TikTokers um, or TikTok itself is run by the Chinese government. Um, I know that that's come out, or the, the the app is run by the Chinese government. So a lot of uh, right-wing conservatives are saying that you know that was it, it's part of China. It's part of China's interference in the election, um, and the left-wingers are all laughing, right? So it's 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 interesting, but I couldn't believe a million requests. I mean, and things just got torn down. Uh, there was an outdoor stage 
Uh, that went away, obviously, real quick. And depending on which news channel you watched, the arena looked at least reasonably full or reasonably empty. Just mattered on the uh, the camera angle is what it came. I down think to. it was reasonably empty. I do too. Um, I, I do too. I I said it was about a half to two thirds full. Mm. You know, is what it is. Uh, you know, and for me. Given the, the state of affairs in the world, I don't know that I would be jumping at the chance to go to something like that, whether I supported the person or not. Yeah. Um, I don't think you and I are running to a concert right now to be in a building with, you know, 20,000, 25,000 people uh, shoulder to shoulder, unmasked and screaming at the top of our lungs. Right. It's not right. quite the safest place to be. So, um, nope. yeah, it, it is what it is. But I certainly. Uh, uh, political fodder, to say the least. <laughs> let's, let's go with that. But actually, Joe, actually, now that you mention it, it is uh, it is June twenty second. So happy Hand of God Day. Ah, yes, that's right. Today in in is the anniversary of what was possibly the greatest goal ever scored. Um, mm-hmm. Hand of God for one, but then the greatest goal ever scored. All uh, the century for a reason, and probably the most. And, and to be fair, Joe, I think it's probably the most famous game ever played. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, think of the things that happened in it, right? And we're talking about the yeah. uh, the '86 uh, Mexico World Cup, and 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 we're talking about uh, the Argentina victory over England with the two goals by Diego Maradona. Um, one of them, obviously known as the Hand of God, which was obviously a handball, and the other one, uh, which was uh, probably one of the greatest goals I've ever seen, where Maradona dribbled through everybody, and and then finished off. Just uh, just an amazing feat, and wow, it's been uh, it's been twenty. Let's do the math: thirty four years. 34 years. Yeah, 34 years. And unfortunately, I think Diego hasn't been the same since. No. <laughs> as you've seen in the video that I sent you. I, 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 I did, and, and, and that's not how I want to remember Diego Maradona. Trust me. I, I'd rather I'd rather remember the guy that was kind of dancing and juggling in the warm-ups for Napoli, right? That guy? That's, yep. that's not the, the one dancing provocatively uh, and, and posting not-safe-for-work videos. Exactly. Yeah, exactly it. So, so my friend, this week we're going to return to um, – a more normal or more uh, traditional form of trivia. And, uh, and I think we might ebb and flow with it versus who am I versus regular trivia. But this week I'm giving you regular trivia. Okay. So it's one question, no more hints. You'll get an answer at the end of the, uh, of the show. So tonight's trivia is Spain based and it's about Thibaut Courtois. Thibaut Courtois is on pace to win the Zamora trophy as the best goalkeeper in La Liga this year. Jan Oblak has won the past four years in a row. Only two other Real Madrid keepers have won the Zamora Trophy. Can you name those two keepers? Also, um, if he does win the trophy, how many will that make for Thibaut Courtois? Remember, he played at Athletic oh, before he went to Chelsea. A, yep, that's right. So, how many trophies, if he wins this one, so including this one, how many tro- how many Zamora trophies will he have won? And who are the two keep the only other two keepers at Real Madrid's history that have won the Zamora Trophy as um, as well? It's a good question. It's a good question. Thank you. Answer coming at the end of the show. So let's let's get into opening thoughts. And tonight's opening thoughts um, are, for me, something that is important. Something that uh, one league took it upon themselves to do, and I applaud and I support, and I stand by what they did. Um, there is going to be a little bit of ugliness that came out of this today, out of the Manchester City Burnley match, which we will talk about, I think, in this topic or in this in this segment. Um, but it's the support of the EPL for the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, as uh, all the matches played this week, all players had their names replaced with uh, Black Lives Matter on the back of their shirt instead of their name. 
Um, I believe also Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, had Black Lives Matter put on his boots, which he then will has or will have auctioned off for charity and then donate the money that's raised from those boots to uh, to, to programs that will support uh, to Black Lives and youth and stuff like that. Um, for me, Rob, this is something to be absolutely applauded. I know that you and I and we on this show time and time and time again have talked about racism in football. Um, and I do have a thought that I want to share with you on that in a moment. This is this is the 180. This is the kind of change where we need where they've basically the, the entire league has taken it upon themselves saying, no, what's going on is wrong. We need to recognize this. We need to support it. We need to get behind it and do what we can to make it better. And I think this was a great opening step. Um, so, you know, I'm going to stop there myself and I'm going to give it to you for a second, Rob, because I want to get your thoughts on the, the gesture of the Black Lives Matter movement, the EPL and what they did with it this week. Well, I, I don't think there's much to say, really. I think it's a it's a wonderful cause and, and a wonderful statement and a powerful one, obviously, that we are seeing all of the 20 teams uh, unite into something that has to be united, has to be something that I think everyone has to go um, and support. Obviously, you know, there is no discrimination. I mean, you know, we have to we have to condemn racism. Um, and I think what we are seeing and obviously what we've seen, I think, over the last few weeks as well. If you remember, Joe, when the Bundesliga started, you know, we're seeing, even though we didn't see that kind of a big uh, form of unity from the entire league, we still see players, you know, like your Jaden Sanchez, your Weston McKinney's, your Marcus Terence doing their own kind of tributes uh, when they do step onto the pitch. So mm. I think outside of that, um, I think it's good that they've done it. I think it's a really good gest- uh, gesture that they were able to um, put Black Lives Matter on all of the... Uh, on the back of the kits of every single player that played um, this weekend, and and just you know, it's it's I think it's very demonstrative of how popular and how you can use your platform to get a message because mm-hmm. we know how popular the Premier League is. It may not be the best one, that's up for debate, but it's definitely the most marketed one. Mm-hmm. And because of that marketability, you're reaching um, different parts of the world. And I think what we're, I think here in the United States, I think it's safe to say that it is one of the most popular. I'm not saying it is the most popular because, you know, we still have the League MX and MLS and different other leagues. But because of what we're at right now, I think it opens a lot of eyeballs. I think it really shows how hopefully many other leagues are going to follow in the same footsteps. And I think they know one that definitely needs that kind of uh, 180 that you were talking about. And that's Italy. Yeah. I think, um, I think besides that, it's 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 something that, and, and you know, we see the likes of kick it out, say no to races. We already seen that plastered around the league for quite some time. So, this is no, this is not anything different. But, like I said, I think it's a it's a good gesture aim of the teams and the leagues to unite into something that is obviously very important. Has obviously gained a lot of a, of attention lately, especially in the states. And that, um, no, you, you kind of have to applaud all of them who have been involved. So that's, that's generally what I have to say. I don't think there's anything more to do it, but just say bravo to all the 20 teams in the league. Now, you know, building on that, um, we have four leagues that have returned this week. We obviously know the French league is, is done for the season, but the other four leagues were all on display this weekend and all four leagues players took a knee, whether it be before the match or, or what have you, but there was always players taking a knee. I know one of the things that, um, that I guess is, I want to call it a black eye, but again, I saw this happen. So 
for me, I, I don't want anything lost on it. Nicholas Nkulu for Torino uh, scored a goal, and when he scored the goal, he took a knee, um, you know, raised his fist in the air. And the image that Torino FC tweeted on that was him on one knee and, and then a white man who was uh, Andrea Balotti um, standing kind of over him. Do you know what I mean? And, it, and the optic was terrible um, from the angle that the picture was taken. However, I did see the, the match. And, and really with Balotti, Balotti, when, when Nkula went down to one knee, Balotti actually stayed back. And did not come up to him. He wanted to, you know, tackle him and hug him and celebrate the goal. But he actually stayed back and gave Nkulu his moment. And and then walked towards him. And then when he walked towards him, somebody must have snapped that picture in that moment. And and it just sent a bad image. Um, you know, I, and I'm not defending racism or anything like that. And this is a question I want to ask you, Rob. But for me, the picture was poorly used um it was actually a good celebration by Nkulu and it was respectful by Andrea Bellotti because he did maintain his distance and allowed Nkulu his moment and I thought that was very professional and I thought that was um it was important I just think that the the photography was poorly timed and and after that Torino should not have used that photo but um but I think overall I think it was it was well received in all of the leagues that played this weekend um the 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 idea of Black Lives Matter and, and supporting that particular movement. I want to ask you, Rob, real quick. <clears throat> One of the things, and we just mentioned it briefly, we've seen it a lot in Italy, but we've seen it across all leagues in general, and that is that is the racism that happens, and it happens in every league. I, you know, you can't tell me it's just Italy. It's all of them. My question mm-hmm. to you is, with with the fans not being in the stands now, um, and also with the with the amount of silence that's in these stadiums that you can hear players talking, do you feel that in terms of racism, this is actually a good start to curb that racism because the the X factors and the generators of that racism just aren't there? I mean, it's it's the best you can really do. Mm. I mean, I think there's not much that you can do when you do have fans and when you don't have fans. I mean, it's a different story. I think um, it is definitely something that, this point it's like when you don't have anyone you know what else what's there to lose Mm. so i think the gestures that all of the leagues have been able to do is perfectly fine and make you know what i kind of see this maybe as like i don't want to say a punishment but just like you know taking a piece of our own medicines like look this could be perfectly fine Mm -hmm. for fans to go attend the game and not have to deal with any of this right You you see what these players feel they understand that this is an overlying issue. So, you know, we as fans and, and supporters and, 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 you know, people that like the sport of soccer, we just have to understand that, you know, these these guys are human beings. You know, they're, they're just like you and I, you know, and there's no need to hate anyone because of that. So right. it's um, it's a good thing that they were able to see. I think going back into the timing of the... Of the um, of the Torino photo, I think yeah, I think it was perf- it was bad to use such a photo. I'm sure mm. they had a different photo, and perhaps that it would have been much better if it was just him uh, doing it and, and not had that image of Belotti. But again, um, it's all about optics, really, and the yeah. angles that you're in. So I think it's um, it's tough to say, but you know, obviously, we can't condemn any. We, we have to condemn racism in this in this um, in this forum. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Um, last thing that I want to mention is 
for all the good that came out of England this weekend, uh, today in the Manchester City Burnley match, some fans hired an airplane that flew um, a banner over the Etihad stating White Lives Matter Burnley. Um, Burnley has since come out. They immediately condemned what happened, and there's an investigation going on, and the whoever's responsible for, uh, for that banner flying over the stadium um, will already receive a lifetime ban from Burnley. So bravo to them for, for acting swiftly on it. Um, and trying to squash something like that, I think is an incredibly poor taste and and just should have been handled. Not that it should have been handled better, but people just need to be a little more respectful. I think we're losing sight of that these days. I think there's a lot of stress on, on, on people these days, given the, the state of affairs in the world. And, and I, this was not the right time or place to do. It's never the right time or place to do any of that. And um, and bravo to them for for acting swiftly and then condemning it and then going as far as to say if they find out who it is, they'll re- automatically receive a lifetime ban, and th- which is appropriate. So, um, Rob, let's table the discussion for the moment um, and let's bring on Alex Dono. Alex from Cultural Connection joined us a little earlier just before we started recording and gave us some insight not only into the MLS tournament coming up uh, in a couple weeks in Orlando, but also the Serie A, the Coppa Italia, and how he feels the league will finish. So without further ado the Alex Dono interview and joining us now on low limit football from the cultural connection podcast, Alex Dono, Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. I want to open up not so much with a Serie A question, but really an MLS question because you're based down in Florida and we saw the news earlier today that the uh, Orlando uh, NWSL team will not be participating in the tournament in Utah, given that they had players and uh, coaching staff uh, testing positive for COVID-19. The MLS tournament is supposed to take place in Orlando in just a couple of weeks. I'd like your thoughts or your speculation on whether you feel, given the situation in Florida right now, if that tournament's actually going to happen or not. Yeah, I'm a little worried about it. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about the MLS's back tournament. I'm a little bit worried about the NBA. I mean, both of those leagues are supposed to come to Orlando in July, MLS in early July, NBA in the later part of the month. And you know, um, th- th- there are there are some some things that are less concerning. Like there, thankfully, at least as of today, there is still room in most of the hospitals, which is a, a blessing. And and you know, the, uh, the the mortality rate is not looking catastrophic. But of course, I tread lightly when I say that because any live lost is a tragedy. I, I get that. However, um, it is worth noting, as I'm sure you guys have seen, the numbers of positive tests have been coming in at a, a record pace over the past week or so and it's extremely frustrating and it's extremely concerning especially being a florida resident knowing that hey like a few weeks ago we really thought we were seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with this thing and and now you know since we've started to reopen the state we're we're trending in the other direction and i think the bottom line guys is even though a part of me says that you know the the mls and the nba plans uh, are they look pretty damn safe to me when you're talking about creating these bubbles and testing everyone involved constantly? Uh, I wish I could live in a world where, like in my neighborhood, everyone's tested constantly. I, I'd feel a lot safer. Uh, so, like, I, I really do think there are potential. There is potential in these plans to keep players and staff safe. However, um, as any of us know, working in this business, uh, working in the sporting realm. A lot of times the optics are what matters most, right? right. And I, I think we're seeing a lot of people around the world taking notice of how Florida, including the Orlando area, also including you know South Florida where I live, actually my county, Miami-Dade County, 
has the highest numbers of any county in Florida. So I'm, I'm very aware of this. Uh, but Central Florida has become one of the hotspots now as well. Um, you, you have to wonder over the next couple of weeks if, if things keep trending in a negative direction, if the optics of an MLS tournament and then a couple of weeks after that, uh, an NBA restart, if the optics will just start to look really, really bad and, and people will say, you know what, why would we put anyone at risk by doing this in, in one of the hot spots of the country? So, uh, I mean, to, to make a long story short, I really don't know. Uh, I think at this point, everything, all the dialogue people are having is, is speculation because I think very few people are privy to whatever conversations are being had in the MLS front office right now. Uh, I, I that, That's like the best kept secret along with the NBA conversations. I, I just know that uh, I, I think the public pressure is going to increase day by day for them to maybe rethink this idea. So if, if I said I wasn't starting to get a little bit concerned, I'd be lying because I am concerned. Yeah. And for your safety and for everybody else, you know, we hope that things turn around down there really quick. Um, let's let's turn the focus to Serie A, which we really came on to talk about initially tonight. And I want to start out with the Coppa Italia with you because obviously we saw that tournament conclude uh, in, I guess, a surprise where Napoli defeats uh, Juve nil-nil on, uh, on the score sheet, but uh, I believe it was 4-2 on penalties, which um, we can talk about the penalty-taking atrocities that happened you know, during this one because that's as a Juventino, that's that's the only way I can describe it, especially Danilo's, I think, is still in orbit. Oh, um, that's, yeah, I was going to say, it's it's up there with uh, with the International Space Station right now. <laughs> it sure is, but um, so I, I like I like your recap, your personal recap of of the last three matches. Obviously, we had um, Juve AC Milan. We had your beloved Inter against Napoli. Obviously, not both Milan sides go down. Uh, Napoli takes the victory, takes the Coppa Italia, their sixth title. Um, and and really, for me as a Juventino, the concerning part is that Juve didn't score a goal over two matches. Now, again, they turned that around today and and beat uh, Bologna 2-0, a Bologna team that's certainly not as strong as Napoli, Inter, and maybe even not AC Milan, but uh, but certainly not a bad team. I'd like your, your, your overall recap of the Coppa Italia and, and what you thought of the tournament and how Napoli finished it off. Yeah, well, let me start with uh, with Napoli because obviously I, I watched them very closely in 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 the semifinal and and in the final. Um, really, really impressed with what they've been doing under Gattuso. Now I know in the match against Inter, the return leg, certainly watching it from the perspective of an Interista, it was frustrating because Inter had their chances. Uh, you know, they they controlled the match on the stat sheet, but. Ospina was excellent in goal for Napoli, and to Napoli's credit, even though they didn't have that many juicy opportunities to score, they took advantage of their best opportunity. They caught Inter sleeping on the counter. Ospina made a tremendous pass on that long ball out to Insigne, who then set up Mertens for just a a saucy finish. And uh, it it was a lot like the previous semifinal leg played some three months earlier, where even though, uh, you know, Inter had probably more chances, Napoli was more clinical scoring a goal. They did the same thing, you know, to get through. And then uh, and and I kind of wonder, because I think we saw this uh, with Lazio a year ago uh, when they won the Coppa Italia, that became kind of a reference point and a rallying point for Lazio to really you know, winning that trophy, getting a lot of confidence in 2019, and then in the 2019-2020 Serie A campaign, we see how Lazio has continued to really rally around that and improve as they're now challenging for a Scudetto. So I kind of wonder for a Napoli side that has, you know, and, and they've done fine in Champions League, of course, move, uh, getting through the group stage, but they've really struggled in Serie A for most of the year. 
Uh, and, you know, they're certainly in play for a Europa League spot, but not really for a Champions League spot when a lot of people thought they might even compete for a Scudetto this season. So I kind of wonder for them with, you know, a new manager who just took over, you know, uh, midseason, if, if winning this Coppa Italia could kind of become a reference point for them the way it did for Lazio a year prior, and, and maybe this can launch them into a, a much more fruitful Serie A campaign this coming season. You know, so uh, from an Inter perspective, it, it was certainly disappointing to see them, you know, go down uh, and get eliminated despite playing pretty well in the game itself. And then from a Juventus perspective, uh, I think, Rob, you hit the nail on the head that it's got to make you feel good that, you know, in the in the match uh, today, as we record this Monday against Bologna, uh, Juve was able to to wake up a bit and score a couple of goals because uh, I really in, in watching their semifinal against Milan, where they, they got through nil nil because they went through on the away goal from the previous leg and then really watching their underwhelming performance against Napoli in the final. It's just it, it looked like th- there's really something missing for this squad. Now, maybe they shake that off after the break. Right. I mean, they had three months off. Maybe they shake it off because I still remember that game in, in early March where they completely outclassed Inter right before the Serie A was suspended and they were playing Saudi ball in that game, although they weren't really playing Saudi ball in these two Coppa Italia semifinal legs. So I, I don't know. I think that uh, as much as I as much as I would like to declare, you know, Juve just not the same team. They're still my pick for the Scudetto. Like they're still my pick for the Scudetto because I, I think even what they did to Bologna on Monday really exemplifies the fact that, uh, you know, this team, they're accustomed to winning trophies. They're accustomed to finishing off some of the lesser teams in the league and and winning matches when their backs were against the wall in the standings. Whereas you take a Lazio and it's just, they're such a wild card. I mean, Lazio is such a wild card. Think about all all the games they've won in this Serie A season where they've really come back from the dead with these miraculous finishes, scoring these stoppage time game winners when you're counting them out. I don't know how much of that was fluky and how much of that was for real. So for the next 12 match days, does their magic run out? Because I think they, they did ride a little bit of luck to get to this point. And, and then from an Inter standpoint, I, I don't consider them dead in this Scudetto race. Uh, I, I consider them to be, I, I consider it to be a three-team Scudetto chase. But at the same time, I don't have a whole lot of faith in Inter because Inter's mentality, I don't think, is there. Like, this team hasn't won, you know, a significant trophy in 10 years. And I think part of the issue is, uh, you know, they they don't have enough players who have won important hardware. And I don't think they have the mentality to close out some of these important games. I mean, they nearly blew it against Sampdoria on Sunday, despite having what should have been a really comfortable 2-0 lead. They almost blew the game late. So there were certainly some warning signs for Juve in the Coppa Italia, but... Uh, I think at the end of the day, they're going to win a Scudetto race, even if it's a close one. You know, um, Alex, I mean, there's still a lot of time left until we get to the matchup between, I think, the one that's probably going to decide the the Scudetto itself, and that's Lazio against Juventus. But having said that, looking at the schedule that Juventus actually has and also what Lazio has, you know, Juventus do have a bunch of important games as well. You know, they have to play... Torino, still have to play Milan, they still have to play Atalanta as well, and an Atalanta side that as you know, and what we've seen over the weekend and over this entire season, have been entertainment, entertaining, and have liked to score goals as well. Having said that, for Lazio as well, they also still have to play Atalanta, you know, they still have to play the likes of Fiorentina, they have to play Milan, um, so it's not exactly easy schedules for both the two teams, but I think with everything all piling up, and like you said as well, I think what's a big factor of this restart of the Serie A is um is certainly as well 
how much that depth will be so important for these teams. It's a big advantage for the big teams like your Juventuses. And I think with Lazio, even though they've had such a really good side and, and like you said as well, are, are kind of the wild card in all of this, you just don't know if they're able to have that enough uh, in their team to get to them, to get ready and, and hopefully pick up pace for that Juventus game. I mean, did you see that um, going that way, Alex? Or do you feel like both teams will be primed and, and ready for their matchup uh, on July 20th? I think you make a, a fantastic point, and, and it's a double-edged sword. Um, I think not only is depth going to be super important, and Juventus, aside from their midfield issues, they're a deeper team than Lazio. Like, they are a, a deeper squad. Juventus can essentially, you know, their their B team could contend for a Scudetto. Uh, you can't say the same about Lazio. So they certainly have more options off the bench. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if Lazio, and this is going to be a big challenge because everybody's playing two matches a week, but if Lazio can get enough luck, if they can be the healthiest team down the stretch, if they can, you know, because Juventus has already suffered a couple of injuries here since restarting him, that they've already played three matches, Lazio is still yet to play. So we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, but but if Lazio can by some miracle, and you almost feel like they're destined for this because they've had so much luck this year, it wouldn't surprise you if they end up being the healthiest team down the stretch in addition to being you know the luckiest team down the stretch. Uh, but if they can keep their starting 11 plus a couple of key bench players healthy, uh, then they certainly have a shot. Uh, but yeah, I think you raise a great point, Rob, that it's not only... It's not only about, you know, which team plays the best football, but it's also when you're talking about just a a ridiculous schedule where you're essentially playing every three days that that it's going to benefit a deeper squad. And I have to wonder, you know, when we're talking about four or five weeks from now, if Lazio starting 11 is just dead tired and Juventus has the advantage of being able to rotate more players. So I I think that's a good shout. Now, having said that as well, I know they both – uh, them Lazio and of course your Inter still have a game in hand but is there still some chance that it, be it a, not maybe not a miracle but if Juventus were to screw up against I don't know and just have like one of those off days and then you look at Lazio and Inter who are able to position themselves in it you know are they still can you still say that Inter is still in this Cadetta race or is it just too far-fetched and too far off at this point that I think you're still going to consider it a, a, a two-horse race. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's far-fetched because, um, I, I don't know, I, a lot of the rhetoric during you know the hiatus for the league, uh, people talking about a two-horse Scudetto race because they, they were looking at Inter being nine points back of Juve at that time. Uh, they are now, again, nine points back, but uh, they had a game in hand during the break. They won their game in hand against Samp. That made it a six-point gap. Uh, still, if you're talking about you know what's essentially a six-point gap if you win the game in hand, and, and Inter have a couple of favorable fixtures. I mean, they, they've struggled over the years against Sassuolo, but Sassuolo has really been, been uh, looking in shambles lately. Inter has them midweek, then they have Padma at the weekend. Inter should, and I emphasize should, win both of those games, and they probably have the more favorable schedule compared to Juve and Lazio the rest of the way. Uh, so I, I definitely think there's a shot. I, I think the key is uh, how many heart palpitations will they give their fans down the stretch? Because, you know, I, I complained about the second half performance against Sampdoria, but at the end of the day, they did hold on for a two to one victory. And all that really matters is the W and three points. And they were able to get that. Uh, they have been better at dispatching the lesser sides against Conte, right? In, in previous couple of years with Luciano Spalletti, 
Inter tended to play up and down to the competition. They they would give you know the top two or three teams a very hard time, but they would drop a lot of unnecessary points against the mid-tier and, and the lower table clubs. This year, it's kind of been the reverse. They've struggled against some of the bigger teams, and, and they've you know been able to grind out results against the mid-table and the lower clubs. Uh, I think that sort of consistency is going to be key down the stretch. But when you're talking about potentially a, a six-point gap with still 12 match days left to go, I think Inter has plenty of time to make up some of that ground, uh, especially if I, I think, you know, when, when Lazio does face Juve again, probably the result that Inter should be rooting for there is a draw. Like, you would want those teams to split the points uh, and only take home one point apiece because that could give you time to make up some ground. So, you know, I, I think as long as Inter doesn't bottle things, I think they have a chance to make this a legitimate three-team race down the stretch. And they're certainly well coached enough to to make a fight of it, especially if one or both teams slip up. I, I want to ask you, though, about going into the offseason for Inter, that it's, the, the offseason for all these teams is going to be like seven hours. Um, and, and obviously the, the, the main target for in the transfer window for Inter is going to be Sandro Tonali. Uh, by some reports, Tonali and Inter have already agreed to terms or they've already agreed with, with Brescia to terms. I want to ask you as an Interisti, how important is Sandro Tonali to the Inter project, especially taking it to the next level? I think he's incredibly important. Um, I, I, I've heard some folks say that you know, they don't really need Tonali, or, or why would Tonali want to go to Inter? There, there's not enough playing time for him there. He may not even start. First of all, uh, I think anyone who says that is underestimating Sandro Tonali because I, I, I think he's good enough, even at 20 years old, I think he's good enough to find very regular playing time. Like, he might even, within a half a season, take Brozovic's job. I think that's how good Tonali is. But even if he doesn't take a starting job right away... When you're talking about three competitions, because, you know, Inter obviously said, yeah, they're going to be in Champions League, Coppa Italia, they're really going to try to win that next season as they tried to win it this season. I think they'll have a pretty deep run there. Uh, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for him when you consider, you know, some of Inter's other midfielders. Um, I, I think Inter is going to move on from Matias Vecino uh, this summer. Uh, at least they're going to try to. Mm. And they're definitely going to move on from Borja Valero. Uh, so right there, that opens up a couple of spots. And, and Vecino plays a lot, and he plays a lot, because for as good as uh, Stefano Sensi is when he's healthy, the guy's never healthy. Like Stefano Sensi, uh, every time this guy gets on the pitch, he picks up a muscular injury and misses the next three games, and then he comes back for a game, and the cycle continues. So... Uh, Inter is going to be, I think, having at least two midfielders leave this summer. And uh, and with Sensi not being dependable, you know, you, you're going to be walking into a season next year if you can close this deal with Sandro Tonali, where the sure things uh, on, on the roster are going to be uh, Brozovic, Varela, Eriksson, Tonali, and then, you know, you may have uh, Gagliardini as, as a squad player. Uh, so I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity for him. And, and this is a guy at 20 years old. Um, I, I think he's going to be a foundational player for the Azzurri for, for the next decade and a half. I think he's that good and could be a foundational player for Inter. I mean, whoever's able to sign this kid, if Juve's able to do it, uh, you know, if uh, I, I don't really know if Milan still has a chance, I, I've heard Fiorentina is interested in him, whichever team comes away with him and, and maybe enters the favorite right now. But any team that signs that guy, I think, becomes appreciably better. And, and he's going to find a spot to play with Inter. And, and for as many 
midfield issues as they've had because I think people saying Inter has such a deep mid- midfield, I think that depth is overstated because of some of the injury troubles they've had. Uh, I think he can be an incredibly important player. Uh, I mean, guys, he might even be the difference next season between Inter winning a Scudetto and not winning a Scudetto. I think he's that important. Yeah, and, and Brescia sitting dead last. You know he's going to be sold. It's just a matter of where and when and for how much. So um, let's talk about another youngster at Inter real quick, and that's Lautaro Martinez. Uh, next season, where is he playing? Um, the, my, my opinion on this changes a lot. I, I think right now there's a better chance he's still with Inter. Uh, I think that uh, now, now maybe financial fair play giving every team a grace period might change this conversation, but just from what I understand right now, uh, Inter is sticking with their demand of you know release clause or bust. Now maybe they could bend from that a little bit, but I don't think they'll bend from that very much. I think the lowest Inter would go with their demand would be 90 million plus a wing back like a, a Semedo or a Firpo. I think that's probably as low as Inter would go. So this is going to be very pricey. And I think if Barcelona is really counting on getting it down to like 70 million plus a player, uh, I don't think Inter is going to get that done. I really think that their ownership group Suning is very serious about the idea that they don't need to sell him. Like there's no financial burden to sell him. And mm-hmm. so they're only going to sell him on their terms. And, uh, and and listen, this could change three days from now. We might see, you know, uh, Di Marzio or Fabrizio Romano with some bombshell report of, of what Barca is going to get, you know, done for this deal. But I think as we sit today, I think there's a better chance that Lautaro is with Inter than without Inter next year. And um, I, I, I would be on board with that. I think that the, even if you were to sell him for a very large sum of money, um, you, you could reinvest that in the club and you could make good things happen there. But uh, I, I look at how Lautaro has flourished in his partnership with Lukaku and you know the understanding we've seen them had, have with each other. It's hard to replace that. And I think it, it could be potentially a pretty slow market for strikers anyway. So it'd be tough to replace him even with a big chunk of money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And then it's also very hard to replace, I think, the special understanding that Lotaro and Lukaku have. So uh, I can see a silver lining either way. I mean, if they sell him, it's going to be for a large sum of money. They can reinvest in the squad. So that's good if they keep him. You know, you're keeping a striker who's shown he can flourish in in this particular uh, formation and and with his strike partner. So I'm I'm happy either way. But yeah, if you ask me today, I'm I'm leaning towards the idea that uh, it's probably 65% chance he stays, 35% chance he goes to Barca. And I think it's either it's Barca or Inter. I don't think there's anyone else who's going to swoop in and poach him away. Going to be interesting to watch this summer for sure. Let me get a, let me get a prediction out of you. Obviously, the big match might be across Europe this week is Lazio-Atalanta uh, coming up on Wednesday. Uh, in one word, give me a winner. Atalanta. Wow, and I know that my my Calcio Connection co-host Jerry Mancini is going to want to drive from Canada to Florida to punch <laughs> me in the face, but I, yeah, but I just with Atalanta, I, I think that them already having a game under their belt, uh, and also in in that game when they when they hammered Sassuolo, Atalanta did not look like a team that's been off for three months. Like they they look like they just played together a week ago, right? Yeah, uh, and I I don't know. There's just something about that Atalanta team. Like I I they they give everybody in the top six such a hard time. They're so aggressive. Uh, I, you listen. I, I think Lazio is going to keep competing for the Scudetto over the next twelve match days. 
Uh, I just don't think they're getting three points uh, on Wednesday. I think Atalanta is going to take it probably two to one or three to two. Maybe we'll have a fun high scoring game. That'd be good. That'd be fun to see before we let you go. Uh, where can they find your work and, um, and, and the podcast? Oh, great. Um, probably the, the best bet is uh, to find me on Twitter at Alex Dono, Dono spelled D-O-N-N-O, because usually anytime I'm either hosting a live show in Florida or when I, I put up a podcast, I usually post it there. Uh, but if you want to find you know, our, our Serie A pod directly on, on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your pods, just search for Calcio Connection. That's the pod I do with Jerry Mancini, who's just so entertaining. You know, he, we give each other a hard time because he's a big Lazio fan. I'm a big Interista, so we're we're always butting heads on all that stuff. But yeah, Calcio Connection is where to find the pod. And guys, thank you so much. Great stuff. Thanks again, Alex. Uh, good luck, uh, especially down in Florida. Stay safe, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. And special thanks again to Alex Dono for joining us on the show. Um, looking forward to the Serie A as they get ready to kind of close things out uh, and move through the season here, which is going to be a great tight race. Rob, we started out with Alex by talking about the uh, MLS tournament coming up on July 8th, that it might be in jeopardy. We've, we've seen a couple of different reports and things coming out lately, especially the, the concerns that the... Um, that the coronavirus is spreading rapidly in Florida, Orlando being one of those major places where, where we're having issues and we're seeing uh, flare-ups. We have um, a couple other things. We have uh, Inter-Miami players and Atlanta United players have tested positive for the coronavirus as well. Recently, that's according to um, MSN. We saw an article on that. Uh, uh, Jim Curtin, coach of the Philadelphia Union, um, is concerned about the Florida coronavirus spike. And, um, you know, and, and obviously that's going to play into the plans of getting back into the tournament. So, um, you know, just want to turn over to you. You know, Alex felt like there could be a chance that this could not happen. I also want to mention um, one more thing. Uh, the NWSL tournament is supposed to take place in, um, and I'm sorry, in, in uh, I'm using my brain, losing my brains, Utah. And the Orlando Pride, who is the, uh, the um, NWSL team that was supposed to participate in that, has withdrawn because of, players and staff testing positive for the coronavirus um i'd like to know rob you know what's your gut feeling do you think this will happen or do you think we're in trouble uh, it's tough to say i mean um we really don't know what's going to happen i think just because cases are going up it really has to be fair hasn't stopped uh, stuff and i mean the only fear is how big the, the surge is i mean what we see in the likes of spain and germany and all the other countries where their teams have, um, their leagues have started, it's the curve is more flattened and it's much more shorter. Having said that, with Florida's case, it, it really, I, I think the big fear, mm-hmm. more than anything, is the players. I think the more we get, and hopefully this doesn't happen, but I think um, if more players from MLS and NW, NWSL are testing positive for it, mm-hmm. And that could raise some fears because that I think what we saw I think a couple of weeks before the Premier League started that they tested all their players and only a certain amount were obviously tested positive. We don't know how many of those MLS players have already tested and have, have tested positive. We need to we need a general number. So I think it's going to really come up to that. Um, but I. Do you really want to go a 180 for all this after so much that has been already been made and organized to plan something like this? Do you really want to go through that? 
I know it's not the, the it's, I know it's not the same thing to do. It's not the moral thing to do. But I think for these teams and unfortunately for the league itself, they, they need this to happen because they, they need it to, to function. You know, they don't have anything else besides that. Right. I think that's that, that's the sad part of it all. It's that it's all economics. Yeah, you know, I, I know the one of the concerns right now that's being raised is that you have these players that you could seclude, right? These teams that could be secluded. You get them all tested. Everybody's negative, and you can seclude them in this in this arena per se, okay, or this complex. The problem is, is that the people that will work the hotels, the people that will work the food services, the people that will work all these little jobs are not quarantined and they're not isolated. And they'll be going back out into the community and then back in and then back out and then back in. Um, you know, I, one of the things, Rob, that you might be familiar with, you know, just just talking to me over years here, but especially more recently, um, mm-hmm. is is what I do as a job, you know, in Connecticut I go in and out of nursing homes. So there's always the potential of me carrying that disease from one nursing home to another. Um, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm diligent washing my hands and diligent wearing my mask and everything, but there's always the potential because somebody on the outside comes inside that there's a problem. And in fact, in Connecticut, the nursing home cases spread like wildfire, wildfire, wildfire. Thank you. Because of workers going home, going to the grocery store, going to the post office, but then coming back to work the next day and, and carrying the virus with them, which is what got a lot of people sick. So, um, you know, there's there's that concern is how do you keep these players isolated and protected in this cocoon long enough to turn around this tournament and actually make it make it happen, especially in an area where right now is being seen as the the new epicenter of this virus in the United States and in Florida. Um Art Morelli, who's a friend of the show, uh, tweeted a little while ago, 26,000 new cases in Florida since June 13th, which is around 2,900 cases a day. Um, And they've tested 5% fewer people. So to get that rise in cases with less tests um, is really concerning. It means there's a lot more of the virus and, and, and people aren't being careful. So I think that maybe if I'm MLS, you know, and there are a lot of concerns. Again, you look at Italy, you look at Germany, you look at Spain. They were three to four weeks ahead of where we were in terms of the progression of this virus. Now, the, the steps that they took, I mean, there was a lot of lives lost in Italy, a lot of lives lost in Spain, a lot of lives lost around the world. But they took steps that curbed everything. And you're seeing those countries turn around now to the point where we have soccer being played, right, in, in all of those countries. We are not in a position here in the United States just yet to turn around and give sporting events um the the sporting events we can see are the sporting events that allow for individualism alone so golf i think is something that would be appropriate nascar okay and we can talk about racism in nascar i don't want to go down that rabbit hole again but um nascar is something that you could potentially do you worry about the crews and stuff like that but uh, on the driver perspective it's it's a lone person sport um but basketball You've got to be concerned. There's plenty of contact. There's plenty of fluid exchange. Uh, soccer, there's plenty of fluid exchange. Dr. Fauci came out and said that he can't see how the NFL actually plays this year, you know, in football. Because of the amount of contact in that sport, you would have to test players like every minute and keep them in a cocoon. Well, that's what we're experiencing now with this MLS tournament. And I wonder if they can keep any everybody safe, uh, you know, for that amount of time so that they can... Um, you know, actually run through the entire tournament. I'm, I don't see how they do it, Rob. I mean, for me, in my gut, um, I would like to see them move this tournament out. I would like to see them maybe move it to September. 
uh, something like that. Maybe make this tournament part of what MLS is going to do for the season. Uh, and I know it's unusual circumstances, but I think at this point, or, or don't be afraid MLS to play in mid-December, um, you know, and play those games in the South in, in, you know, the middle of December or even January and try to get some semblance of a season provided that the environment is safe for it to happen, Rob. I just want your final thoughts on this. Do you think this will actually take off or no? Well, no, none of them have won yet. No, no, no one's in Florida as of yet. No, that's well. correct. That's correct. So, and would you want to go to Florida? If I was a player? Mm. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. No. I'm, I'm with you. I don't want to bring my family down there. No, definitely. You know? Especially since they're going to be there for quite some time. Exactly. You don't know what could happen. Right. So it's... And, you know, it only takes a few... Um, like if they're all in one place, you know, if if one outbreak happens, that's it. I I could see a postponement of this, mm-hmm. um, especially given where it's going to be played. Um, crazy thought. I could see a postponement of this and moving it to a place like the tri-state area, because the tri-state yeah. area right now is the best place in the country. And it's crazy to say that because a month ago you you would have never thought you could have said that. But the tri-state area right now, you know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, is one of the safest areas in the entire country when you're discussing the coronavirus. Uh, it seems absurd to be able to say that, but un- un- it's sadly true right now. And I don't know that I don't know that the Florida is the right place to have it. I don't know that July eighth is the right time to have it. And I, I guess we'll we'll see. But in my gut, I could see them postponing this at least a couple of weeks, see what happens with these cases, see if things kind of start to trend in the right direction. And and then if they don't, then I think uh, I think they may scrap the idea entirely. And it's just just out of safety and, and out of caution. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully things turn around very quickly. And hopefully we do see some some MLS returning here. Um, let's talk about football that has returned, Rob. And let's go back to La Liga. We saw. Uh, a great weekend in La Liga, a weekend that saw Barca drop points, like I mentioned in the opening monologue, and it opened the door for Real Madrid. And Real Madrid, by the way, looked fantastic. You know, we've seen some teams look great. We've seen some teams look terrible. Um, and I don't want to say Barca looked terrible. I don't think that they looked terrible on the weekend. Um, but they weren't able to manage anything um, in their match against Sevilla in nil-nil draw. And then Real Madrid looked better than average uh, over the, over the weekend. We've seen a couple of teams do this. We saw, um, I'm trying to think who else. I, oh, City. City's a team that looked like they haven't missed a step. Alex mentioned in the interview, Atalanta looks like they they just played last week. So there are some teams that have really returned from this. For me, Rob, when we started this whole return, Dortmund was a team that looked like they returned. Bayern, team that looked like they just totally never stopped. And it's amazing to see because. You know, this in this regard, it is a title race. It is totally a title race. The two teams are tied on points at the top of the table at 65 points. And and right now, because of head-to-head, Real Madrid actually hold the top spot. We go, we look forward to this week. We've got Madrid facing Mallorca, a team that, that Barca actually beat uh, earlier, in the, earlier in the return, um, where Barca have Celta Vigo. Celta Vigo, they're 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 kind of a mystery because they've been hit or miss, but this weekend, man, were they a hit? They uh, they end up beating Oliva six nil, and and they looked fantastic doing it in the process. So, um, I know this is a race, Rob, that is going to continue all the way to the end of the season. I don't think either of these two teams are going to let up. Is there potential that one of them blinks, or do we have a title already decided? 
it's so tough to say. I think that this league has been so uh, nonstop that you would think that maybe if Barcelona brings one more, then that's it. And looking at the schedule they have, it's very possible. Yeah. Because you still have to play Bilbao. They still have to play Atletico Madrid. And having said that, you know, Real Madrid, you know, you would think they can get all three points amongst most of these teams. Yeah. They could get a draw as well. Villarreal. They have the, Villarreal. Ca- they have the Catalan Derby coming mm-hmm. up July 8th. I mean, that's a, Granada, a Granada side who, to be fair, uh, Joe, mm-hmm. prior to their loss to Villarreal, they were unbeaten, I think, in like eight matches before that. Yeah. So they're they're a they're a wild card right there, you know. Getafe, Getafe, have done very well as well. They have. You know, they've um, they um, they're still in fourth place, I think. No, fifth place. So yeah, it's it's tough. It's, it's it, it really is. I I don't know. I I we don't, we haven't had a champion. We don't. We're not going to decide a champion. No, I I yeah, don't I don't no. think we have either. Absolutely not. You know, absolutely but absolutely not. But obviously that Atleti match is a big deal. The Espanol match, despite Espanol being um, you know, at the bottom of the table, like you said, it's the Catalan derby. That's a tough match for them as well. Real Madrid, you look at their upcoming schedule, and also Barca Villarreal. You look at Real Madrid's upcoming schedule. They have uh, they have Hitafe, like you said. Athletic didn't look bad on the weekend. Granada again, Villarreal as well for them. So they have you know some spots here too, where where there there are tricky spots. I, I and again, I'm with you. I don't want to say we've decided the, the the championship here in La Liga. But, man, there's still a bumpy road and it bears watching all the way through um, as to who will actually take this title because it just takes one slip like Barca did on the weekend against Sevilla. Any of these tough teams can give them some trouble. Um, you know, looking back also, now Atleti have finally moved into that Champions League spot. If you remember when we did our, our review coming back uh, from the break, uh, Atleti, I believe, were in six, and they were outside of the Champions League spots. Now they've gotten two wins in a row here. They've they've beaten Osasuna 5-0, and then they beat Valladolid uh, 1-0 on the weekend. They're in a position now where they hold one of those spots, and they're four points clear of Getafe. So they, um, they're going to be fighting for those points against Barca as much as Barca need them for the title, just to say in the Champions League. So I think this is a massive, massive um, road for all the teams involved. But you know, even though it's a two-team race, I think... We're in for a serious run to the finish here in a couple of different spots in La Liga for sure. So um, let's table that real quick, Rob, and um, and get back to – well, actually, let's let's do this. Let's let's go to our matches of the week this week. We've we've got a few um, a few matches on the docket here for the – and uh, because the way football is being crammed in now this week, Rob, or, or, or here down the home stretch, we're giving you matches every day, okay? So starting tomorrow, uh, Tottenham Hotspur – take on West Ham United at 3.15 p.m. in the Premier League. La Liga sees Barcelona Athletic Bilbao at 4 p.m., like we had mentioned earlier. On Wednesday, Liverpool initially would have had the opportunity to win the uh, EPL title here in this match, but because they dropped points, we'll have to wait a little bit longer. They take on Crystal Palace at 3.15 p.m. And then the big one of the week, uh, Atalanta-Lazio, 3.45 p.m. Atalanta's second match back from the break. Lazio's first. It's going to be interesting to see how they shake off the cobwebs. Thursday is a big one in the EPL. We have Chelsea taking on Manchester City at 3.15 p.m. On Friday, Juve continue their ways, especially given uh, what happens in that Atalanta-Lazio match. Juve on Friday take on Lecce at 3.45 p.m. Then on Saturday, Saturday final match weekend in the Bundesliga. Bayer Leverkusen Mainz, 9.30 a.m. is a big one to watch there for European positions. Uh, then we go to Celta Vigo-Barcelona at 11 a.m. Again, that's another uh, race uh, matchup. 
And Lazio Fiorentina, another tough spot for Lazio in their title race and their title hopes, 3.45 p.m. on Saturday. Then on Sunday, AC Milan-Roma, 11.15 a.m., and we're going to close out Sunday, the weekend, with the Espanyol-Real Madrid match at 4 p.m. When we return next week, we'll have to see if Barca are still in place for that title or if... uh, or if Real Madrid is has, has taken a commanding lead there aside from head-to-head. So, Rob, let me give you the trivia question again, my friend, and then we'll, uh, we'll see if you can get your answers on it. So, Thibaut Courtois, current Real Madrid goalkeeper, is on pace to win the Zamora Trophy, which is the best goalkeeper in Spain. Jan Oblak has held that for the past four years. Only two other Real Madrid keepers have ever won the title. Can you name those two keepers? And... If Courtois does win, let's expect that he does win this title. How many Zamora trophies will that make for Thibaut Courtois? So the first one, okay. the two players. Okay, uh, the two players, I'm going to go on a curveball. I don't know if this is a curveball, but I don't know if he's ever won it, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Is it Iker Casillas? He is one of them. 2007-2008, he won the Zamora trophy. All right. There's and one the more. other one, I'm going to, it can't be Kaylor Navas. It is because... not Kaylor Navas. Because that means it wouldn't it wouldn't have been him it wouldn't have been him because Oblak and Terstegen have won it during that time. So right. I'm gonna go back. I can, I can uh, give you the year if it helps. What's that? I can give you the year if it helps. Sure. Let's Not, see if that works. 1991-1992 season. I don't think that's going to help. <laughs> <laughs> this is the curveball on, on this question. I, I figured you get Casillas, but Navas was kind of the curveball a little bit because he did so well at Real Madrid over the years. Yeah. No, I, I can't get the it's, second one, unfortunately. It's Buyo. 1991-1992, Buyo won the title uh, as the first goalkeeper at Real Madrid to win the Zamora Trophy. Okay. Um, second part of the question. If Thibaut Courtois does win it, and let's assume that he does, how many Zamora trophies will that make for him? I think it would be his second, wouldn't it? It'll actually be his third Zamora Trophy. Third. He won two at that Letty before he left for Chelsea. So gotcha. uh, Thibaut Courtois is looking to win his third title and be the third goalkeeper at Real Madrid to win it since Buyo and Iker Casillas, uh, Casillas in 07-08, the last time that was done. So without further ado, my friend, I don't have anything else in the closing on the docket, so let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So, for episode 287 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Alex Dono from Culture Connection for joining us. Next week, we'll give you the final standings in the Bundesliga. We'll look back on the La Liga race and see where we stand now, as well as the Serie A, and see if anything has changed there. So, for episode 287 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.